Today's Bible reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Not in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or nor death, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to see you all like this and let's pray that God will speak to us as we have gathered all around the new territories this morning. Lord, we thank you for the church and that the church is not a building but your people, uh, your fruit that's bearing fruit all over the world. And Lord, we know that uh, we are gathered because your word uh, was spoken to each of us and you have called us as your own and you've called us to be part of the church. And now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now to each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8 as we go through this final part of our series. Uh, fear is one of our most dominant uh, emotions, isn't it? The subtext of every news, news is fear. Be afraid. Be afraid of COVID. Be afraid of other countries and foreigners. Be afraid of the economic downturn. Be afraid of diseases and death itself. Be afraid. And actually, so much of what we do uh, is driven by fear. Fear of shame, fear of hunger, fear of um, um, being left out or whatever it is. Fear drives us. But do you know what the most uh, repeated command in the Bible is? It's actually a variation of do not fear. Do not fear. This is a, a quick sample of uh, this command. Deuteronomy 31, 6, Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. Isaiah 41, 13, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. John 14, 27, let, your not, let not your heart be troubled. Let not them be afraid. 
So as Paul ends this great section, Romans 1 through 8, he ends with assurance that we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. There is meaning, even in our suffering, uh, that there is purpose to it, that we won't miss out, that all things will be given to us, that there's nothing that can condemn us, that we should be assured of the love of God that will never separate us. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. We can be confident as we live our life in this world. Well, last week, before this section, Paul pointed to the fact that we groan, not just us. We groan, the creation is groaning. The Holy Spirit inside of us is groaning because of the pain and suffering uh, in this world that we are going through. And Paul today tells us that no matter what it is, no matter how great the evil and pain or whatever that we're going through, there is actually meaning behind it as well, that God is working for the good of those who love Him. We are willing to give time and energy, money, and we are willing to suffer, don't we? Uh, when we, if, we if it means uh, bringing a greater good, if it has a point um, to it, that's why we raise kids, that's why we give money and do exercise or whatnot. Pain and suffering is only unbearable, really, if there's no point to it, if we can't see the meaning behind it. And that's why when something happens to us, we immediately ask, what's the point? What is God trying to teach us? And although sometimes we can't understand fully what God is doing, Paul assures us that there is meaning, that God is sovereign, God works for the good of those who love Him, for those who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. To know somebody in the Bible has this uh, context of relationship. It, it, uh, to, to, to know someone is to also love someone. Adam knew Eve. Um, for those who He foreknew and predestined, he mean, it means that for those whom God not just new in his head, but for, for those whom God loved from the very beginning of the creation of the world. For those whom God loved from the very beginning, he has been working out his purpose. He's predestined them, he's called them, he's justified them, and he's now glorifying them. Um, he's working out everything towards that end. So take a look, I mean, at that, that uh, at, at the end of that unbreakable chain, and it started, uh, that's in verse 30, those he, he predestined and uh, justif- called and justified and glorified. The purpose uh, that drives uh, everything, uh, the, the end of it all is our glorification. Us being head to toe from inside out, being like Jesus being glorious like Jesus. And that's the thing. I mean, we think that our problem is many things, illness or job or whatever it is. But actually, God says, actually, the problem, the most pressing problem is internal. It's problem of sin. It's problem of character. If we are Christ-like, we will be able to go through all things in this world like Christ. We will be able to glorify God like Christ did. And once again, that is the end. Uh, God has 
destined us to glorify us, to bring His glory, uh, bring all of us to the full image of Christ. And since that is the end, that's what God is doing now through all things. In and through all things, He's making us more like Jesus. So please, don't misunderstand this verse. Paul here isn't saying that if you break up with your girlfriend or if you lose a job, you'll get a better person or a better job. He's not saying that. He's not promising uh, uh, comfort or more wealth or more health um, here. Not that sort of good. He's not talking about that. But he is talking about how through all those things, God will make you more like Jesus like a person who's able to go through all things and bring glory to God. And please also don't misunderstand that he's not calling these evil things or sins good just because he can bring good out of them. No, these things are still evil. Evil is evil, and sin is something that you will regret no matter what kind of good that God brings out of them. But God is so sovereign that he can work through even your sins, even through the most evil things in this world to bring out his purpose, to make his people more like Jesus. This past week, I read a testimony of Diane. Diane was a mom who lost uh, her son to a senseless murder. Uh, He was trying to protect a colleague from an abusive husband Uh, But in the process, he ended up getting shot um, to death instead. Diane wrote, I've surrendered the question of why to a new question. God, what can you do to both glorify yourself and to heal others through this horrible situation? She stopped worrying about why, but she started to ask, what can you do to bring glory to yourself and to, uh, to um, heal others through the situation. And then uh, in the process, she said that she started to pray for her, uh, m- uh, the, the murderer. Uh, she didn't pray before because he was a monster. But as she prayed for him, in her mind, this monster transformed into somebody uh, whom Jesus died for. And so she started to pray, and and incredibly, this person responded to the offer of God's mercy and grace and became, she says, a brother in Christ. And so she then started to work um, to get this guy free from the prison. And so she continues, she writes, And as impossible as it sounds, I can honestly say I love the murderer of my child. This is only through the mercy and love of God. I love the murderer of my child. You know, that murder is still murder. It's evil. It's not good because something good came out of it. But look at Diane. Look at the people around, uh, uh, around him, around her. God has used this to bring Diane to greater glory, to greater Christ-likeness, somebody who can reveal the, the, the extent of God's love for each of us. That's what he's doing in this world. Friends, evil are evil. Um, uh, But God can work through all these things. And did you notice at the the end of verse 30, you know, it's it's predestined and called and justified and glorified. How glorified that word 
is in the past tense. He hasn't glorified us yet, but it is in the past tense. And that's deliberate. It's sort of this prophetic past tense. What Paul's trying to say is those whom God loved from the very beginning, he will glorify us. This is as good as, as, as done. Nothing can stand in the way of God's will. He will bring out God's glory in, in, in us right now, and he will bring us to glory then. Church, when you go through tough times, we often just pray for removal of pain, for the situation to change. Perhaps this is one of the things that we could pray for. Maybe in the midst of our tough circumstances, maybe one thing that we ought to pray for um, is to, um, to, to make us, uh, for God to make us more like Jesus, to reveal His glory in us and through the situation as well. And secondly, trust in God's sovereignty, that He is good, that He is working for your good, even if you can't understand it fully. Trust God in His suffering, in the suffering. But we don't like pain and suffering and you know, evil things, partly because of how difficult they are, but also partly because we think that we're missing out on the good and the fun um, that could be had. Um, fear of missing out. Well, that's the Gen Z's word for it. FOMO, fear of missing out. FOMO is partly why we're all, always on uh, social media. Well, what fun is somebody else having? What, f- what good things are they eating? Where are they gone that I could also be enjoying? We're constantly looking out uh, for others, what others are doing so that we don't miss out. And as innocent as that sounds, that fear of missing out is at the root of all sin. Uh, going back to Genesis chapter 3 in Adam and Eve, you're, you're, the, the snake came. And how did the snake tempt Adam and Eve? Oh, God told you not to eat that fruit? You know, actually you won't die. God just didn't want you to miss out. God didn't want you to become like God. Fear of missing out. It's the same fear that makes us live for the things of this world and for myself and not for God's will and not for God's glory and not for others because we fear missing out in this world. And to us who worry constantly about missing out, Paul reminds us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Church, God is for us. God is for us. You know, he's not for everyone. He is against Assyria and Babylon and Tyre, Sidon, and even Israelites when they have sold themselves to different idols and became so sinful. No, God said God is against you. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us who have put their trust in Him, He is for us. The proof? What is the proof? He says, Paul says, He didn't spare his own son to give him to you. Uh, And he who gave him up for us, how will he not also, verse 32, along with him graciously give us all things. God gave his son for us. He will give us all things. He is that good. 
some of us, are bitter. And we at the pain and suffering that we've had to endure. Maybe you've had more share of that suffering and pain. Some of us are bitter because you think, well, God, everybody else is getting these things. God, why are you withholding these good things from me? Why are you so stingy? You might be asking, church, God is for you. God is generous and He is loving and God is for you. He knows you and who you are. He has given us what we need and He has made us heirs. And as we've heard last week, co-heirs with Christ. So as we look to your circumstances today, no matter what they may be, can we be confident Can we put our faith and can we trust in Him and say that He is for me, that He is for us, that He has given me what I need, the thing that I need the most today, and not compare ourselves to others? And can we trust um, that, uh, that the hope, that we're saved for that hope, that the new, the glorious creation will come and we will live there, that that is our permanent destination, that all things will be given to us and nothing will be lacking. Church, we will not miss out. He is for us. He's given us what we need and He will give us all things in the new creation. So live boldly and courageously for the kingdom. Give away your possessions for God's kingdom. Give away your energy and time and talents uh, in, in, in sacrificing yourself for God's kingdom. Live courageously. Invite your colleagues to do one-to-one. Read the Bible with you. Invite them to come to church. Live boldly for the kingdom. Raise your children. Raise your children to be bold. To not to live for the glitters of this world, but for His kingdom. Raise them to be courageous. Treasure things that God treasures instead of the things that the world values because He who has given us His Son will give us all things. Will He not give us all things? But, you know, when the Spirit convicts us and He says, you know, you are my own, you are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, you will get all these things. Maybe there is another spirit that creeps up, another voice that creeps um, up uh, to your ears and say, well, you don't deserve it, do you? You don't deserve it. There is that fear of condemnation in us too, isn't there? What do enemies say about you? What would they point to? How about your friends, family, spouse? What would they say about you? Well, actually, what does your conscience say about you? you know, all these things, these voices of friends, enemies, and even our own conscience, when they convict us, they are painful, aren't they? Not because, often not because they are not true, but because they are true. Because we are guilty of some of the things that they point, um, point to. And we often then live in the fear of condemnation, fear of being found out. But thankfully, we do not have to justify ourselves. No. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Verse 33. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. 
in that ultimate judgment. God the Father, who loved you so much so that He sent His only Son to die for us, He is presiding over that trial. God who loves you is the one who's presiding over that trial. And He is the one who has justified you already. He's declared His sentence. You are free and righteous in the Son. And of course, there is the Son. He is also present in this trial with His nail marks and the crown of thorns. And He's right right alongside of you in the defense box. And He's saying, He is mine. I have paid for His sins. I have paid the price. He is innocent. He is justified. And of course, we heard last week how the Spirit so identifies with us, inside of us groans. Uh, this prayer uh, on our behalf. Who will condemn us? Who will condemn us? Well, actually, Satan, the other people, even your conscience will condemn you. But will they be effective? No, they will not be effective. They will be meaningless against the testimony of our Trinitarian God who is for us. So enjoy. Enjoy God's love for you. Uh, Rejoice in His salvation each day. The great reformer Martin Luther uh, wrote once to his friend Professor Melanchthon, Sin boldly. It's often taken out of context, so let me give you the fuller context of what he said. If you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary, but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. Friends, God didn't save you from imaginary sins. God didn't save imaginary sinners. Jesus didn't die an imaginary imaginary death. Jesus died for us. Knowing who we are, knowing the sins that we will commit, Jesus died for us. He has paid for those sins. Yes, our sins are evil but they shouldn't paralyze us. If there's a soundtrack playing behind all the things that we do, the soundtrack of our life, it shouldn't be some country song that's moaning and groaning about the terrible sufferings and and how we need to overcome all these things. No, the soundtrack of our life should be, we are the champions. We are the champions. We are more than conquerors, as he'll go on to say. We are the champions. That should be the soundtrack of our life. Because there is no condemnation. We are freed and we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Live with that soundtrack playing all throughout your life. Ultimately, though, what we fear is separation from God, isn't it? That ultimate separation of hell. Christians, let let this text assure you that for us, who th- those of us who love Jesus and trust in Him, this is not a possibility for us. You see, our salvation is not just a mere restoration to the Garden of Eden. Adam and, Adam and Eve, when they were first created, they, uh, because they disobeyed, they were cut off from God and they were kicked out uh, from God, uh, from God's presence. 
But for those of us who are united with Christ, made children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit right now, and who will be glorified in the end, this is not a possibility for us. You see, it's not restoration, it's consummation of what uh, was promised to Adam and Eve. That's what we will get. We will get more than the Garden, garden of Eden. That separation is not possible. And that's what Paul means when he says well, that we are more than conquerors uh, in verse 37. In Greek, it's, it's literally, we are uber conquerors. We're super conquerors because of Christ Jesus. We will be victorious. Why? Well, not because of the tenacity of our faith. Not because we have kept, kept going and kept fighting this good fight. Not because we are somehow good people. No. How is this victory guaranteed? Because of God's love. <laughs> because God's love will not let us go. I've avoided so far the debate over the predestination and free will and all these things. It's just a, a topic that's a bit too big uh, for this sermon. But let me just say this. The Bible does hold us responsible for the things that we do. We're morally responsible agents, and we are free to make those decisions. But this is what Romans 1 through 8 has been saying all along. Our actions do not have the final say. God is actually sovereign over all creation. Uh, and he's in charge of the past and the present and the future. For, so for those whom God loved from the very beginning, for those who he loved and predestined and called and justified, he will glorify us. And the, his will is absolutely accomplished in and through even all the evils in this world. You can rest in that love. And Christ's love is stronger than anything in this life. Look at that list that Paul has gone through. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. It's stronger than that. And it's stronger than death. Stronger than death. It's stronger than anything in the spiritual world. Neither angels nor demons Time will not fade. Time will not fade God's love for us, neither present nor the future. It's stronger than any other powers. And we can't escape it, no matter where we are, neither the height, height nor depth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What we've seen in Romans 1 through 8 is that we do not, well, there is actually things that we should fear. You know, there is sin and God's wrath is being revealed in this world. God's good law reveals the sinfulness of our hearts and our helplessness against sin. There are evil forces that conspire against us, but God is for us. But God is for us. He sent His Son to unite us to call, uh, Himself, sent His Holy Spirit to be with us now, and He is at work in us now. And future glory is guaranteed, and all things will be given to us. So, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of anything. Anything in this world. You have nothing to fear. Live boldly. Live 
courageously for his kingdom. And he who began this good work in you before the creation of the world will bring it, in, bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.